Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. A survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. My name is Matt, your host, right back here for another awesome edition of the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm always stoked to have you here as we rock our survivor journey together. If you are a first-time listener, I'm glad that you found the podcast, and I hope that you'll find it validating, encouraging, and maybe a little fun, too. Be sure and check out some other podcasts and head over to survivingmypast.net for blog posts, videos, and much more, all in support of those who have survived the trauma of abuse. If you're a returning listener, you guys rock. You're amazing. Thanks so much for the support and the encouragement and helping to spread the message of hope that we try and promote here. So today I'm excited to introduce my very special guest to you, Dr. Charlotte Howard. Charlotte is an author of Awaken to Love and a psychologist in Austin, Texas. She has helped hundreds of women learn to love themselves and feel great about who they are and their place in the world. Today, we're going to talk to her about her book, her program called Yourself Truly, the process of creating emotional healing, the importance of loving yourself, and so much more. So Charlotte, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I'm really excited to to be with you and and to hear more about your audience. And um, I just love that you're doing this. It's such a great resource. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And the honor to chat with you um, is indeed all mine. And I'm grateful that you were able to take some time out of your day to hang out here with us on the podcast and to share your story and your programs. And so I think it's going to help so many people. So let's kind of jump right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first question I have here really is to tell us more about what creates emotional healing and what the process of healing is. Oh, great question. So. Um... The healing really comes down to being able to feel the pain of what you experienced and then have a loving, compassionate presence with it, or what we call a reparative experience. And so as I've gone to all, you know, so many different trainings and theoretical orientations about, you know, what creates healing, um, to me, as I listen, it really all comes down to that. It's very simple. And now the brain research really confirms that because they can watch that in order to shift your neural webs in your brain where these things are stored, like traumatic experiences or painful ways of viewing the world that don't work for you based on usually childhood, they can watch these neural webs and watch that they shift um, through therapy or other healing experiences. But the, the thing that they've found is that you have to light up those neural webs in order to actually change them. So uh, we can we can create new neural webs and new beliefs in the world as we mature, and we uh, we might learn healing ideas or new way, new ways of thinking, um, and those can create new ones. But we will it doesn't heal or change the ones that are underneath. So 
in a moment of regression or specifically with trauma, if your trauma gets triggered by something subtle that then accesses those underlying neural webs, um, you're going to be right back to where you started. But if we can access those neural webs, which means lighting them up, which means for most of us, that means feeling the experience that's stored there. Then we have access suddenly to now reorganize things in there and to help it mature and integrate um, and become a part of the greater system. So, so basically what I'm saying is that the brain research now confirms what all these different psychological theories are saying in different ways and very complicated ways, which is that you have to feel your feelings and you have to have a reparative loving experience while you're in there. So you, you don't, you don't want to just go back and re-experience trauma because it's just re-traumatizing. But if you can touch in to the pain and access it while you're having some sort of reparative experience, which is what a psychologist is supposed to provide, but there are many other ways to have a reparative experience, especially if you have a good relationship with yourself, that then those things start to actually really transform and they can watch it now happen. So it's, it's pretty amazing. You brought up a topic that is something that I've been, been doing a lot of research on here in the last several months and really over the last year or so. And that is how the brain is affected by trauma and the brain's ability to heal and our ability to reprogram our minds. And uh, you mentioned the term, which um, I am familiar with, but for those who are not, could you explain just briefly what neural webs are? And I say that only because I know you and I could talk about for like podcast after podcast for days about what this is, but perhaps in a nutshell for those who aren't familiar with the term. Sure. Well, you know, it's just, um, how do you explain this? It's it's like if you think about um, a web and how one thing's connected to another and it leads down a path. And this is how the brain accesses information and we store our memories and all sorts of information in, in these basically just a bunch of connections between the neurons. So So if something, some subtle way and something in someone's tone of voice reminds you of your father who was abusive, just that subtle like tone of voice will trigger that little memory of the tone, which then will connect all the way and can connect all the way into a bunch of traumatic experiences that are all linked together into a web and basically regress us right back to a really scary um, traumatic historical moment. So neural webs are just the way our brain works to store information most efficiently um, to help us understand our world. Right. And so essentially it's kind of like if we were to talk about the topic of like triggers or flashbacks, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for example, um, I always, um, you know, talk about on these shows, one of the triggers that I used to have that was quite intense at the time was um, this trigger of the smell of like a musty type of smell, mm-hmm. if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, um, you know, how that, that was triggering for me based on the abuse that happened to me when I was a child and the rooms that I was in and all uh, sorts of other things. Yeah. But this is that same type of thing where when you see something or in this case, smell something, it triggers that one little memory, which then um, goes down this path and opens up into this web of all these other memories, which of course open up to the trauma. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So yeah. And I'm, I hope that was helpful for everyone because understanding triggers and flashbacks can be very difficult. And it's something where once you understand exactly how it works, that, that enables you to take some large steps towards healing and really understanding how your brain processes trauma and how you know triggers and flashbacks work and why they happen. So thank you for explaining that. I, and uh, I'm sure it was quite helpful for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next thing I want to talk about is loving yourself. And that's something that I know 
I really have had a tough time with being a survivor. I know so many survivors that I speak with have a tough time with loving yourself. So how does loving oneself play into the healing process of trauma? Well, okay. So um, the first thing is, in general, we need to learn how to be um, really compassionate with ourselves. And um, that can be really difficult for people with trauma history because of the deep shame that is often associated with trauma and experienced by trauma survivors. And the really key important thing for trauma survivors to, to understand in a visceral way, like an emotional way, is that what they experience is not their fault. So, but shame is almost universally associated with trauma. I mean, if you have trauma, it's, it's just very unlikely that someone gets by without, without a very um, easily triggered shame response. And that's because of the dorsal vagal response in our brain is it's like the playing dead response um, is the base for shame. So our bodies can get physiologically more vulnerable to shame states. Um, if you've been through really scary emotional experiences that trigger that part of the brain. So, um, and this can come, you know, when we experience anything as a kid, even if it's, you know, a more minor trauma, like our parents divorcing, kids think everything they experience is their fault. Um, but especially when it it's to the level of trauma, um, because the body basically determines that it's less safe to blame the parent than it is to blame ourselves. Uh, especially, I mean, most of the traumas usually happen with somebody who has some power over us. It's a parent or somebody um, who's in charge of our survival. So if we hate that person or we act out against them, um, it's pretty dangerous. And so the safest thing our psyches figure out to do is to, to direct the anger at ourselves or to think that somehow this reflects on us and it's not. And so that we can keep the parent um, somewhat safe to us, even though obviously they're, they're not or whoever the, the abuser is. Um, and also kids tend to look at the, parent as though they're God. And, and so if, if that person is treating us badly, we feel like we must be unlovable. So there's so many ways that, that shame is, can, and lack of self-esteem can really deeply happen to us when we've got abuse history or trauma history. We can also feel ashamed that we didn't fight back. Um, if we happen to have that dorsal vagal response as part of our way of dealing with the trauma, which is you know, we freeze or we shut down and go dorsal. It probably, you know, it's so important to realize that it probably wasn't safe to fight back. And so as we look at it later, we have to really have compassion. None of that was our fault. And we did the best we could. And, um, you know, basically dealing with the shame is a huge part of healing. And so that's, that's really where my work, I think, most intersects um, with with your audience is because shame is such a big part of it. And my work has to do with helping um, people love themselves. The online program I have is more, it's geared toward women, but in general, I work with both men and women on the process of learning how to love themselves. And, um, and I could go on and on into self-compassion and all the aspects of that, but I will, <laughs> I'll pause for a second here since I've been talking. <laughs> It's okay. And, uh, you know, you brought up, of course, one of the big things that you mentioned for survivors of trauma 
Um, and that is the shame and and the blaming ourselves. And it's, it's so unbelievably prevalent. I mean, I've dealt with it. It's, it's a struggle that even though I've been going through this healing journey for a while, and I've worked on a lot of things, the default response oftentimes is, as you mentioned, blame yourself because it's safer to do that. It puts the blame squarely where we think it should be because it lets everybody else off the hook because it couldn't possibly be their fault. And, um, you know, it's, it's so hard. One of the most difficult things in working with a, um, a mental health professional when you start to work through trauma is this whole thing of shame and blame and trying to put it you know, on ourselves when clearly it doesn't belong there because the, the abuse wasn't our fault and everything. But so many people deal with shame on, in such a, a deep, intimate, strong way. And it, it's such a hard thing to get to really be able to move past because the default response is, yep, it's my fault. Yep, I did it. Yep, I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. They were nice, kind people and I, and I must have done something wrong. Yeah, and yeah. it's a common way for, like you said, you know, trauma survivors or not, um, people way overuse it in parenting as a way to control behavior. And, you know, evolutionarily, that is what it's for is to control behavior. You know, if a kid's about to run into a street, you want to be able to yell their name in a way that just totally makes them freeze. Um, but it's, it's, you know, not, it's just way overused. And it is sad how it's how pervasive it is. You would think that, you know, as you get older, it would be somewhat, easier to try and move past that. But I think as you get older, because those thoughts and that mindset has been perpetuated for so long that I think it's almost harder to work through it the older you get, because it's so ingrained in your mind that it was your fault and that your default response is I did something wrong. And then when in reality, of course, we know for trauma survivors, it wasn't their fault. Um, but I, I know how hard it was for me to embrace the, the idea of, letting myself off the hook. And, you know, so many people I talk to are in that same boat. So I'm glad that we're talking about this because it just reaffirms for those that are listening who are struggling with it, that you're not alone and that there is hope. And that's one of the things that your program, of course, um, addresses with your clients is how to learn to love themselves and to move past the shame and the blame. So um, with those that are struggling with a history of trauma and abuse, what are some kind of tools, maybe strategies, any insight that you can recommend to help them um, with their relationship with their self, to help end this self-blame, like any kind of strategies you can offer, any insight would be, I'm sure, greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the field of self-compassion is really growing, and I use the term loving yourself in my work. Um, but self-compassion is a really big part of, of loving yourself because it kind of links into the shame that we're talking about. And it's to really um, be empathic and caring about what you've experienced. And almost it's like developing a relationship with yourself. You have to um, start by feeling yourself and having, you know, there has to be something to relate to basically, which um and the field of mindfulness is also really important. I guess I'll talk about mindfulness first and then segue into self-compassion because uh, they're linked. But mindfulness, you've probably heard a lot about, and is just non-judgmental awareness of what is. So learning to be able to to notice your experience without judging it or having preference. So if you're feeling really stressed, you're like, oh, wow, isn't that an interesting experience? It feels like my heart's racing. And, and so then to take that non-judgmentalness, which is mindfulness is 
incredibly researched in our field and um, is helpful with almost everything you can think of. <laughs> it prevents relapse from depression. It helps with chronic pain. It helps um, decrease anxiety and um, all sorts of health issues. Um, but that awareness, I would like to take that a step further because mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness. And that is very, it's like a neutral presence with yourself. But if you can even take that to a compassionate or loving presence with yourself, then we get into the healing that we talked about earlier, um, where healing is really accessing a feeling and and bringing that together with love or care or a reparative experience. So mindfulness, in a way, is like accessing an experience because you're tuning in to what is true in your present experience. Like you're feeling the sadness if you're feeling sad or you're noticing any, any sensations. And then mindfulness would be speed and notice those and non-judgmentally. And then self-compassion or loving yourself would be to, to actually care for that. Like, oh, I'm, I'm like, that's sad. I feel that. And I'm right with you. And then you start to see how it's developing a relationship with yourself, almost like you're talking to yourself, becoming a really good parent for yourself so that you have and a lot of people didn't have a good parent that they could trust. So, so this is something unfamiliar. It's, it's very easy for those people who have great parents because it gets internalized. That's how we learn to have a relationship with ourselves, a good relationship with ourselves, is in those first couple years of life, um, we basically internalize the loving presence of our caretaker and our primary attachment figure, usually a parent. But when we didn't have that, we internalize whatever we did have, which can be really negative. Um, and so later then we also don't have the model for them being a good parent to ourselves. So, you know, whether you discover that through um, internalizing a therapist's voice toward you um, or you have other mentors or um, a spiritual path or other teachers, but dis- or you discover it deep in your heart, but you discover a really loving caring way of relating to yourself. Um, and then it's like making friends with yourself, like you would any other relationship, you build that relationship. So I guess the only, so self-compassion, that segues into self-compassion, which is that really loving presence with yourself. And, but the thing with um, trauma history, is sometimes self-compassion and mindfulness can make us, um, if we tune in, we're more aware of the pain than we were before. And so it can be really vulnerable to practice mindfulness or self-compassion when we have that kind of trauma history. So we might tend to avoid our feelings or avoid what's going on inside of us, which makes it hard to have a relationship with yourself. So I would just recommend really going slowly and being really gentle if you have that history. Um, And if it's too painful to actually access what's happening inside of you, then, um, you know, you might do it in more, you know, less personal kind of forms of caring for yourself. Like maybe you start with a warm bath by candlelight, or you take a walk and you start doing these self-compassionate things, but maybe it's a, it's a while before you get to like the inner child work. But ultimately you want to be able to really feel your own pain and your own inner child and, and really love and care for that part of you and be able to step in with yourself to feel it and be loving with it. Uh, But that, again, like that's very sensitive, deep work when you've got trauma history. So you can really start slowly and gently um, finding ways to care for yourself. 
you bring up something, <clears throat> actually several topics, which I would love to discuss on this one and, and, and possibly some future podcasts as well. But one of them that maybe um, that we could talk about now is mindfulness. And yes, it's something that I've done a lot of research on. Um, I was working with a local uh, skills group in my area here with uh, teens and young adults on this, and um, uh, most of which were uh, trauma survivors in some way. But Perhaps maybe expand a little bit more, if you could, about why mindfulness is so hard for for trauma survivors. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, when, the first time that when I worked with with a therapist a while back and she introduced this, this idea to mindfulness, I thought she was nuts. Because I'm thinking, <laughs> why do I want to connect with myself? And how is this going to help me? And why do I want to sit alone and meditate and be fully present and have a neutral mindset and all this stuff? Because I'm thinking to myself, it it, it doesn't make any sense. But um, and, you know, I say that because so many people have said similar things to me when I've, when I've written an article about it or we've been interacting for what, in, in some manner. So maybe if you could explain a little bit more um, on why it's so difficult for trauma survivors to really embrace mindfulness and seeing ourselves in a non-judgmental, neutral way, um, I think it'd be really helpful because I know I struggled with it for quite a long time. Well, I, I think it's because of the intensity of all of the pain that's stored inside our bodies. And so when we've had to survive trauma, um, our main survival skill is our, our defenses. We rely on our defenses um, to, to get through the pain. And jumping out of our experience is a key way. Like dissociation tends to be really big in trauma which is almost like you're outside your body or you're experiencing your, 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 you're distancing yourself from your own experience because it's just too intensely painful. And we, you know, once we've done that, we really don't know what all is in there. And so it's pretty scary to want to connect. And it's like opening a closet that's full of junk and you don't know what's in there. It's all going to fall on your head and it's going to go on forever um, I mean, a lot of my clients don't want to start crying because they're afraid they'll never stop. So, you know, it's it's pretty intense, especially when it's unknown and we haven't really charted that territory. And um, and we do everything we can to avoid the pain and avoid ourselves. So it's like, what? Are you crazy? Turn around and then connect to all of that. Uh, it's just kind of the opposite of what, what we've been trying to do our whole lives. So I think, I, does that answer your question about why? Yeah, it does. And uh, it it pretty much validates my feelings of what, <clears throat> excuse me, of what I went through and the way that, you know, it was explained to me. And now looking back, I, I see why I was feeling that way. And of course, you know, why it can still be a struggle now. And well, I think those, those that are listening can also um, relate to it as well Is that, that intense feeling of, you know, I lived through this trauma for, you know, whether it was a one-time event or for years and years and years, why in the world do I want to try and connect with myself self on a deep level and feel some, some emotions that I've spent years or decades trying to suppress and forget about. So, but mm -hmm. there was so much healing in mindfulness. I, I just, I can't even explain it just for my own personal healing. When I would practice, you know, any type of mindfulness strategies, once I was able to embrace it for the positive healing that it was, it just, it opened up so many doors. Um, maybe just one more thing on the topic of mindfulness is what are some, like traditionally, I think a lot of people associate mindfulness with just simply meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about mindfulness is while it's so helpful to practice it in meditation, 
because then we actually remember to do it and we can focus on practicing it in a, you know, set aside some time to actually focus on it. Um, it's one of those things that actually doesn't take time out of our day necessarily because you can be mindful as you go about your day. So what you're really, I mean, even as you're listening to this podcast, you might notice the chair you're sitting in or are you laying on the ground? What are, you know, what's the quality of the light in the room and the temperature? Um, you might notice the quality of our voices and how that is striking you. It might be a feeling coming up in your heart as you're processing the content that we're talking about. Um, so you, you don't have to pause the podcast or stop your day to actually be noticing what's going on inside you and really being present to show up with what is. And once you're engaging with what is, then you're in relationship. And so now you have a choice of how to relate to yourself around that. And mindfulness would just, you accept whatever it is you're experiencing. Like, oh, the light's too bright in here for me, but that's interesting. I'm, it's, you know, even the way I said it said too bright. So that's a negative thing. But if, if you think it's too bright, it's like you, you're fine with that. It's, you're just noticing like, oh, it's just like any other sensation. Or if you're about to have a panic attack, it's like, oh, my heart's about to beat out of my chest and I can hardly think straight. Like, isn't that an interesting experience? Like here I am having that experience and it's just a set of sensations to notice. So you get really calm and comforting in the way you are with yourself. And you can do that even more lovingly as we talked about earlier with the self-compassion or self-love. And so. Yeah, I, I think it's an amazing way. As you said, one, one of the biggest things about mindfulness is just calming yourself. And mm -hmm. uh, I know sometimes when I'm at work in my day job or if I'm at home doing something and I'm kind of frazzled and I will literally sit there and take a minute and I'll be like, okay, my hands are on the arm of my chair. My feet are on the ground. This chair is comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a little warm in here. It's a little cool in here. You know, I'm noticing the buzz of a printer in the background. I'm noticing a dog barking outside, like whatever it is, you're like, huh, that's around here. That's interesting. And then it immediately like slows my heart rate. It calms me down. And I'm like, okay, I can move forward now. And that, that's one of the big things I learned. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that you've experienced with your clients too, is just that, that amazing feeling of being able to take a stressful, you know, per, uh, perhaps um, anxiety filled situation and have strategies that you know will work that will immediately help just kind of help you calm down and relax, feel present in like a non-judgmental way and then say, okay, I'm okay. I'm safe. This is what's around me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're able to move forward and start working through whatever you have. So I love it. I think it's an amazing, thank you for those uh, insights. I just, uh, I really wanted to touch on that because mindfulness has helped me so much. And I know uh, so many people really, really just love it and are learning so much about it, especially as uh, trauma survivors. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up one more thing I wanted to elaborate, um, which is the, when you were talking about it, it made me realize how much a lot of times um, we need those, we need the mindfulness to ground us back in present reality as well, especially with trauma history. Um, because of the neural webs we were talking about earlier, one thought can lead to a million others and a million other feelings, and we can sometimes get flooded. And when you're flooded, we, you know, then it's also important to be able to come back. And where are we going to, we have to go somewhere if we're going to go away from there and into our body and into the present experience, like focusing on any little thing, like, oh, this flower is really red. Like, let me focus on the quality of the color of this flower. 
or like you said, the chair or your feet on the ground to really get grounded and come back to the present instead of getting flooded. So that's almost like a a whole nother beautiful aspect that mindfulness can provide Um, because it can also, you can also focus on feelings inside you, um, which, and just not trying to control them. Like if you're anxious, um, a lot of people try, like when you said comfort yourself, it's great. It's, it is so comforting, but if we focus on trying to comfort ourselves, then we're like trying to get out of the feeling. And so it's so much more comforting to, instead of fighting the feeling to just notice it and accept it. And then that in itself is innately comforting and will calm us down. But as soon as we have the goal to calm down, then we're out of control because we can't control our feelings and we're going to get more and more upset. You use the term flooded. I kind of uh, liken it to uh, being stuck in like the emotional moment or being stuck in emotional mind where, you know, when things are happening a hundred miles an hour around you and you've got 10 things on your plate and all of a sudden everything's spinning out and you're like, okay, what do I do next? Oh my God, everything's spiraling out of control. And, you know, you're caught in this emotional mind where you can't think rationally, you can't break down a situation, see it for what it is and work through it until you're able to ground yourself and say, okay, wait a minute, let's take five seconds, calm ourselves down. Let's, let's get grounded. Let's understand where we are, that we're safe, that we can do this. And you kind of work through it that way. But, um, you know, in, in the research that I've been doing with anxiety and on the videos I do on Sundays where we talk a lot about grounding yourself and not living in the emotional moment, because that's where um, a lot of bad things can happen. And, you know, as trauma survivors, that can very quickly and easily lead us back down into, you know, what we talked about earlier was self-blame and self-shame and everything's going crazy in our minds. And now all of a sudden we can't handle it. We're not worthy. It must be our fault. You know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, I had that brainstorm while you were talking. I'm like, yes, flooded, like emotional moment. It, it all kind of clicked in me. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there's so many things I would love to talk about. And in the interest of time, I want to make sure that we also though cover um, more about your specific program and what it is and how it works and how people can use it. And maybe talk a little bit about the program that, that you've developed that has gotten such um, rave reviews on your website. Sure. Um, well, so I started really just thinking about what my gift to bring out to the world was. And as I looked at the the shifts that were happening in my clients over the past 10 years, it was mostly that they were shifting their relationship with themselves. And so I started trying to think of how to bring that out to a larger audience. And I ended up creating yourselftruly.com. And it's a, it's a 10-week program geared toward women um, helping them learn how to love themselves. And it's really could be for anyone, but, um, you know, I wanted to narrow my audience a bit. <laughs> and, um, so, so basically each of the 10 weeks is a different area, like, um, self-expression, self-compassion, um, dependency needs, like our dependence on others, caring what other people think, and things like that. And so I, you know, I give a lecture on that and then I bring in an expert, another expert to interview on that and um, an inspirational woman to interview. And I guide kind of closed eyed experiential processes to help um, integrate that material. And so, and then, so every other day for 10 weeks, there's a, there's a piece of material that walks you through the program. And um, I really, really want to help people with this issue. And not just women, obviously, but 
Um, but that's where, where I've started is yourselftruly.com um, and this online program. It sounds amazing. And of course, here at the end, we'll make sure everybody knows how to access that program and get in touch with you. Um, one last question, and probably just more from the male perspective is, do you have any guys that 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 you work with that work through this or a similar type of program? Um, and, and just curious, because it's more geared towards women, are there any guys that are able to take it or, or explore this idea of self-love and self-compassion, um, you know, for them as well? That's a great question. And I have many, many guys that I've helped on this journey. Um, and, and, and I'm trying to think if any of them have actually taken my program yet, because it just launched about a month or two ago. (laughs) Um, and I really would like them to do it because even though, you know, there's parts of it where we're really talking about being a woman overall, and you know what it's like to have that experience with the specific pressures that are on us as women. Um, most of the lectures that I give, they're really for everyone. I mean, they are, all of them are for, the material is really for every human being. Um, and, and so I haven't been able to get any male feedback yet on the program and whether they were able to wade through the parts where I'm, I'm directing it at women and still get something out of it, but I would assume that they would. And I wish I had another resources to give you that was directed more at men. But um, I know Kristen Neff does a lot of beautiful work on self-compassion in general and um, and Brene Brown on shame. And those are great um, leaders in the field that, you know, for men and women. Um, But yeah, I think, I think, people could get a lot out of, out of my course either way. Amazing. That sounds awesome. And um, this has been just incredible. And I I have so many things I want to talk about that I'd love to bring you back for some more podcasts and dive into some of the more in-depth topics that we just discussed with, you know, such as dissociation and more about mindfulness and all that type of thing. So, um, but what we shared has been so helpful and I'm grateful that you were able to join me on the show today and share some of your experience and your insight. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you so much. And it's, it was so obvious from the time we started communicating how much you care about your audience and how kindly and um, lovingly you talk about yourself and them in terms of this journey. And it was really inspiring. And I'm so glad that I could um, be with you today and contribute a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You uh, contributed greatly and I, I appreciate it so much. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up. You can tell everybody where they can find you on the web, um, how to get uh, more information about your program and uh, anything else you'd like to share. Okay. Well, um, yourselftruly.com is um, how you can access the Yourself Truly program if you know anybody who would like it. And um, we are just starting out. So we have now on Facebook and Instagram, if you would like to follow us. And if you could share that with people, we're trying to build a following from zero because <laughs> I've never been on social media before, amazingly, till now. So um, we would love um, love your support. And um, I'm a psychologist at Deep Eddy Psychotherapy in Austin. So deepeddypsychotherapy.com also has a bunch of videos, maybe 50 videos on little you know questions people have asked us. And so if you're interested in hearing um, me talk more on just various topics, you're also welcome to do that or our YouTube channel. But it's deep, like D-E-E-P, Eddie, E-D-D-Y, psychotherapy.com. Amazing, Charlotte. Thanks again. This has been incredible. I can't wait to do it again. And I encourage everybody, definitely um, check out her website, check out your program. If you'd like more information, I'll be sure and link to it in the comments um, on the blog and also the podcast. Charlotte, I can't wait to do it again. And I, I appreciate your time greatly. 
Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Surviving My Podcast, sponsored by survivingmypast.net, a blog about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD, and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources sponsored by survivingmypast.net should not be considered as therapy or professional medical help. If you are in crisis, I encourage you to seek out the services of a mental health or physical health professional. I also encourage you to check out online crisis support from sites like rain.org, oneand6.org, and the Samaritans. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, just contact me anytime through email, matt at survivingmypast.net, or use the contact forms on the blog. Thank you again for your support and encouragement, and always know that you rock. Talk to you soon.